Have you ever wondered what your motivational drives might be saying about who you are and how you can best serve the world? Welcome to Becoming Me, your podcast companion and coach in your journey to a more integrated and authentic self. I am your host, Anne Yong, and I'm here to help you grow in self-discovery and wholeness. If you long to live a more authentic and integrated life and would like to hear honest insights about the rewards and challenges of this journey, then take a deep breath, relax, and listen on to Becoming Me. Hello again, dear listeners. What you're about to hear is the first part of a conversation I had with Dr. Joshua Miller. Dr. Josh Miller is a co-developer of the Motivation Code, or M-Code, the first online assessment that blends a person's own achievement stories with established psychometric constructs. He is also the co-author of the book Unrepeatable, Cultivating the Unique Calling of Every Person. Josh Miller is a leader in the field of narrative-based motivational assessment and for the last 20 years has applied his expertise in a variety of applications, including coaching, executive search, and talent management. His desire to understand and help people develop their unique giftedness led him to do his master's and PhD in the philosophy of the human person, and this informs his coaching and consulting practices. Dr. Miller helped build the Center for Leadership at Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio, USA, where he currently serves as a vocation coach and vocation coach trainer for faculty and staff of the university. I first learned about Dr. Miller when I read his book, Unrepeatable. Then a couple of years after that, my husband Henry and I decided to take the M-Code assessment as part of our ongoing discernment for our own uh, personal vocations. And at the time, it was called the M-Core. It was later renamed, rebranded into the M-Code. So after taking the assessment, Henry and I engaged Dr. Miller to coach us in understanding our motivational designs in more depth. And we were blown away, not only with his incisive insights into our motivations, but also by his personal warmth, his humility, and joyful faith. So, Josh later became our trainer when we decided to get certified in M-Code. And by the time training was over, we had become friends. We bonded over our shared conviction about the unique call of each person um, and, and our passion for learning how to get more effective at helping each person discover their unique personal vocation, which is that place where, in the words of Frederick Buechner, their heart's deep gladness meets the world's deep need. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. I was so grateful when Joshua agreed to be a guest on this podcast because he is such an incredible resource. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as um, I did having it with Josh. And um, don't forget to check out the show notes as well because I've included some links uh, to explanations and you know definitions to some of the terms that, that Dr. Miller users uh, mentions that you might not be familiar with. So without further ado, here's the first part of my conversation with Dr. Joshua Miller. Hello, Josh. Hello, Anne. It's so good to see you again. Good to see you again as well and hear your voice so clearly. Incredibly, I think when we first met, 
uh, I, I hadn't actually started the podcast yet. We met when you were training me for uh, the motivation code. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just sharing with you, uh, you know, that I was going to start a podcast called Becoming Me. And that it was really exactly all about becoming our our authentic selves and the journey to become more more whole as well. And, and that's something that's so universal. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so I was very excited when you agreed to have this conversation with me and um, it will bless my listeners so much. And I think mm-hmm. many other people may come across this resource. So I'm glad to be with you all. <laughs> yeah. Could you, so could you tell us a little bit um, about uh, what you, what you do? I would say at the heart of it, it's, it's helping people um, become more who they are to embrace their unique callings, particularly through, through a narrative approach, a narrative approach that helps them see the pattern of God's uh, giftedness, their design, uh, in stories of authentic uh, action and fulfillment. Um, so that's a big part of it is, is recognizing that each one is designed and the stories reveal that. At the same time, it's identifying the reality of personal vocation and, and helping them grasp that paradigm. So often, at least, at least in the United States and maybe in the West in general, don't know, but among American Catholics, we, we so often think about vocation in terms of, of a basic state in life. And so that those who are in that state tend to think of parts of their life not as directly associated with it as somehow out of their vocation. And the young people with whom I work very regularly are often in this trap of thinking that they have to discern their vocation down the road. Of course, they do have to discern a state in life vocation, but they fail to recognize because they're not really taught that as baptized members of the body of Christ, they are uh, living in their vocation now. So um, I don't want to get too far down that track because we're going to talk about it, but <laughs> but it's sort of an awakening to the reality of personal mm-hmm. vocation uh, and then and then coaching people to live that out. So you work with young people in the context of um, uh, the university. You're, you're, a prof- you're a professor, mm-hmm. am I right? That's one of the many hats that you wear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's true. So I'm the director of coaching and programming for a brand new office of personal vocation at Franciscan University. And there I focus inside the university uh, with, with mostly students. And then outside that, I wear the, 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 the hat of, um, of uh, acting director of Inscape Center for Personal Vocation, where I do more consulting and speaking and, and training outside the university. So I wear those two hats, but they're very, very intimately related. And you're, you mentioned uh, when you were talking about personal vocation, I think that's a, that's a term we will unpack a bit more later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a term that perhaps Catholics would be more familiar than non-Catholics. And mm-hmm. since my, I have listeners also outside the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. uh, is there, would you say your work outside for consulting and coaching, um, do you do so with people who are not necessarily Catholic as well? Yes, I do. Um, so... You mentioned earlier that um, I had the opportunity to work with you, training you to, to use the M-Code assessment. M-Code stands for Motivation Code. And in that context, uh, train people and work with people uh, who want to apply M-Code in a whole variety of contexts. And so, uh, for example, you know, working with an engineering team, 
um, mid-level uh, company, um, 15 or 20 employees, but helping them to build teamwork around an understanding of one of those unique motivational patterns. So there, the language is not around personal vocation, but it's more around team effectiveness, authentic fulfillment, um, being oneself as fully as possible, mm-hmm. particularly in that team context. And it seems like the the overlap or the key for both your work uh, within the church and outside would be this narrative motivational That's approach, correct. right? Or, or the study of uh, a person's unique motivational design. Yes, well said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what would be a, a simple way of explaining to someone who has never heard this before? What, mm-hmm. what, is, a, what is a motivational design? Well, my presupposition is that human beings desire happiness. And that in all cultures and times, people desire happiness. And we've tended to think about that at a sort of a broad species level. Um, you know, the, the certain hierarchy of goods, for example, that Maslow would point to. And, and that's all true. There are certain human needs and desires that we have. But with this narrative approach, what we're looking at is stories of people engaged in activity that they've enjoyed doing, um, believed they've done well, and that, that give that sense of, of deep fulfillment. When we look at that narrative, what we find is that there's a, a pattern of unique motivation towards a certain kind of, of fulfillment. And so the sort, of, the sort of happiness that we want is in one sense specific to the person. Um, so that's, that's what we're after when we're looking at a person's narrative of, of authentic fulfilling activities. There's a, there's a pattern there of, of very specific behavior that's revealed in the narrative. And it's quite wonderful to, to see that and draw it out and help people recognize it. Because you, you've you spoken about how human beings have this drive for happiness, I'm just going to, I was save, planning on saving this question for later, actually, but I think this is a good time. Uh, I often encounter people who, who voice this question, right? Um, uh, isn't focusing on my, my drive or my desire for happiness selfish? Do you get that question? Mm. Do people ever ask oh, you that certainly. question? Yeah, I certainly do. And well, just today I was doing a training with a group of about 60 residence assistants and um, sometimes young people in their idealism um, and many others as well. But, but I've heard this from young people that I've worked with that they, they want to be very careful about, about not being selfish. Um, and particularly in this Franciscan university context, but I had this wonderful experience of, of asking all of them this question. I said, in the stories that you all shared with one another, because that's often what I do as an exercise, I had them identify some fulfillment stories, achievement stories, and then break up into pairs. I taught them a very simple method of, of sharing, had them break off into pairs and share with one another. And the remarkable thing about these stories is that very, very, very seldom are the stories about about just one's own pursuit of one's own pleasure. Normally, there is something that's both personally satisfying, but also a good, also a contribution that is made to the people within within the sphere of that person's influence and activity. So I asked this question, and I said, all right, raise your hand to these 60 young people. I said, raise your hands if the story that you listened to 
showed that person making some authentic human contribution. And 100% of them raised their hands pretty quickly. So to me, it, it indicates that when people are really fulfilled, not only are they being personally satisfied, but they're also giving of themselves in a way that builds up others. It may not be explicit, but it's present. And it's quite remarkable. I've um, often thought of it this way, uh, that, or I pondered that perhaps the way we are designed, created, is precisely that, to have both that, right? That our greatest happiness and fulfillment when we're being really our authentic selves, uh, you know, merges with our, our, our outpouring of ourselves for some other person, some other good. It's just that the way that that is done would be unique to, you know, that other aspects of how we're mm-hmm. uniquely designed. Mm-hmm. I entirely agree with that. And that, that I think is what needs to be challenged. We often think about service just in terms of, of feeding the poor or going to the homeless shelter um, or doing some active missionary service. And those are, of course, wonderful acts of service. But, um, you know, a young person who loves athletics, for example, and loves to thrive in a team context and, and play a sport really, really well, um, needs to recognize that in the moments of that athleticism, uh, there's, there's great service there, um, uh, contributing to the, the team itself, um, cultivating gifts in a very intense way that athletics often, often does, which can then be leveraged later on in life. So uh, that was it's one example of an activity that sometimes uh, I've heard young people shy away from thinking that it's really not about contribution because it didn't have some explicit um, service role attached to it, but, but the gift is there. And, and not only is the gift to other people, but um, from the stance of, of creation, when we do the thing that we're created to do, we're really giving glory to God. And God delights when, when the, the creatures that he has made, the persons that he has made, shine in the way that he has designed them. And so we, we, we're giving light and glory back to God as we do the thing that we're called to do, uh, even if it doesn't have you know, an explicit service orientation. Mm-hmm. It's still of great value. Yes, and what I love about the, the work that you do, uh, I mean, in Motivation Code, uh, which is distinct but also similar with my experience with um, another program on charism discernment mm-hmm. uh, called and gifted right by the Catherine Institute is that it it informs us that there's such a diverse and wide variety of gifts uh, and that they are all good that there's no one gift that's better or more desirable than another I mean in mm-hmm. a sense um, you, you know it but perhaps culturally you know whether it's in terms of, uh, you know, the geographical location that we are in, or perhaps even you know, speaking as Catholics, ecclesial culture, there are some of these gifts that are maybe more spoken of or more more often praised, for example. And so everybody kind of focuses on, oh, these are certain desirable traits or desirable gifts. And, and well and good if they happen to match the ones that I have, for example, right? I know I can put this to use, but if it isn't, we tend to maybe judge ourselves harshly or mm-hmm. maybe even judge others, you know, harshly because, you know, this is the way you're supposed to, to serve, you mm-hmm. know? So I, 
I really appreciate these uh, instruments, and I think you know these are resources that God has given us through uh, human, you know, human resources like yourself mm-hmm. to show us the the vastness and the diversity of His creativity. <laughs> I mean, that that's how I I see it. God is a God of creativity and variety you know? and and freshness. It's it's wonderful. Yes. So you you did your studies in something called the philosophy of the human person, which yes. honestly, in the past, I, I never knew there was such a course, I mean, or a program. If there were at the university that I was at, I would have taken it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I'm and, sure you uh, would have. I, I, oh, absolutely. I, yeah. Uh, and I, when I first saw it, uh, I think in your, in your write-up or something, I, I remember thinking, wow, I, you know, I never knew there was such a specialization. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, and in layman terms, if possible, what has the philosophy of the human person uh, have to do with a person's motivational mm. design or discovering uh, someone's unique mm-hmm. calling in life? So, with philosophy of the human person, what we're doing is we're 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 raising up the human person, not only in him or herself, but also in community, as an object of philosophical study. Uh, what do we mean by human person? Uh, what are human persons for? What's the nature of the human person? And um, as soon as we talk about personhood, we move away from just this category of 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 a sort of a member of the species of humanity. But but we explore in personhood uh, the freedom that we have um, as as spiritual beings, embodied spiritual beings. We also explore. Uh, the great dignity of the person. And so as we're exploring uh, who the human person is, uh, one of the, um, the aspects of personalism that's, that's so drew me, it drew me to study with Dr. John Crosby, is this notion of the, the unrepeatability of the person. And um, we approach that from, from different angles. Um, this, this experience of great loss like when a person passes away, uh, we experience this loss as, as, as so strong that they can't be replaced. Like persons can't be replaced in, in their dignity and in their uniqueness. Um, so we look at that uh, unrepeatability of the person, the uniqueness of the person. We also explore the longings of the person for, uh, for final fulfillment. Um, and... That and other topics bring us to the place where, where we can really understand that each one is uniquely designed and uniquely called uh, to, to live in community and to serve God in a profoundly unique way. Um, so we, we, we're able to move beyond just concepts of freedom or the union of soul and body, other topics related to the personhood, to, to get at uh, the unique love of the person to become uh, who they are. Uh, in, in specific ways. And that's the direction that I've taken my own philosophy of the human person. Mm. Also, the narrative piece is so important. Um, that That's very important. And if, if, if I could just speak to that very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the 20th century philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, a Catholic philosopher, and others like, like Charles Taylor, um, and others, speaking in a more secular vein, like Jerome Bruner, recognize that that human persons can really only understand themselves in terms of a narrative. Um, that we can't make sense of ourselves outside of, of, of social contexts where, where the society is moving in a direction. It's got a background. 
It's got a present reality and a, and a future trajectory. And so um, we live in the context of story, the story of civilization, um, and ultimately, I think, the story of, of, of salvation. We're created for, for God's purposes. So more and more um, in coaching and also in discussions of personal vocation, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm helping people recognize that their stories of deeply fulfilling activity um, do indicate a unique essence, a unique motivational design, but they also are situated in, in, um, in contexts uh, uh, that are also narrative contexts. And so um, what I'm doing more and more is helping people recognize that that, that little story about um, leading kids in a Kairos retreat or building a company or um, setting up a new software program are really best understood as part of, of, of a broader cultural societal movement towards, towards some good and ultimately the, uh, the story of the renewal of things according to the story of salvation. So hopefully that wasn't too abstract, Anne. <laughs> but the idea is, is understanding people in terms of story and then linking that story to the big, the big picture story that they're a part of. Yes, that's what I get. I mean, I was going to say it's not too abstract for me. I love these kind yes. of discussions. But yes, I think it's helpful to couch it as... Um, so when we talk about the philosophy of the human person, that's kind of like the the big story, right? The the context. This is why, you know, this is this is why it's important for us to maybe go a little deeper and find our place because we know that you know we're irreplaceable and and part of being maybe more deeply human. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the study of what it means to be more that's deeply correct, human, yes. more fully human, more fully alive, mm -hmm. right? Um, but that's still very generic. And for each person, I mean, for, for me, for example, uh, if I want to understand how can I be more deeply human, more fully alive? Well, that's going to look different from the next person, exactly. from you. Um, and so then that's where the narrative approach and an instrument like Motivation Code can be very helpful. It helps me find my particularity, yes. uh, the specific way in which I experience and live out uh, you know, that larger picture of human beings in general becoming more deeply alive and fully mm -hmm. human. Mm -hmm. And I think your podcast is a great example of this, of, of where your story of becoming who you are is, um, is told, but it's, it's, a, it's a part of the story of many people who listen and are moved. You're impacting their own story towards wholeness and fullness. Um, so it's a great example of where assuming that part of your creative energy here has been fulfilling to you. I assume that it has been because you're very intentional, Anne. <laughs> but it's a great example, yes. I think, of where um, your, your own narrative, when you sit back uh, um, years and years to come and look back on this part of your journey, it's, it's a story that you can tell, but it's also a story that others will be able to point to as being part of, uh, hopefully, you know, their, their, their movement towards, towards wholeness and the gift of themselves in their own, their own contexts too. Mm -hmm. So we really are tied together so tightly, but we're tied together tightly in community best when we recognize the, the glory and beauty and distinctness of each person um, and their, their, own, their own journey. Really, I think it's back to, to God the Father. Um, we're created in love for love, and and um, these stories also of, of of joyful achievement are really stories about about the person in, in acts of love, which is wonderful to catch them um, mm -hmm. doing. 
Um, Henry Nouwen has this um, saying about how the most universal is also the most personal mm-hmm. and the most personal can be the most universal, mm-hmm. right? And I think when you were talking about uh, my podcast, it's I've always thought that, yes, it's through the particularity of my story, but hoping that it can put people in touch uh, with the, you know, how if there's any point of a contact with something that they, that resonates with them, and then from there, perhaps they can link it to their particular story. But all these stories, our stories matter because there's this overarching universal story of, about being human yes. and the desire to, you know, to, for fulfillment and joy. And joy, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Although this, the stories indicate authentic fulfillment, they're also a signal of, 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 of transcendence, meaning that, that the stories, uh, you know, for example, uh, I spoke today of, with a young woman who shared a story of, of massaging her mom's feet at the age of 12 and loving that. And she just, she was very enthusiastic about this experience at age 12 of, of just taking the, the, the pain off of her mom who'd been working so hard all that day and massaging her feet and having her kick back in the chair. And so this desire to serve um, was so strongly present there, but Yet that episode fades away, and the pain comes back. Um, but but this desire to serve and have people really be relieved of pain, uh, it indicates a time and a place where we, we don't want there to be pain anymore. And so oftentimes the stories that are authentically fulfilling are also signals of, of um, it's like the motivational drives can never be fully satisfied here and now. And so they indicate... Yeah. The hope, anyhow, of, of final fulfillment, um, you know, at the end of our lives in heaven, God willing. Yeah. like I haven't seen it that way before. I think that's beautiful. It's our unique way of walking our our, our pilgrimage, I guess. You know, the, the different strands to that ultimate fulfillment mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, each of our designs. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful new way for mm-hmm. me to think about that. Or personal vocation. Okay, so that is the first part of my conversation with Dr. Joshua Miller. And here are the praxis prompts for today's episode. One, listen. As you listened to my conversation with Dr. Miller, what struck you? Notice especially those moments when you might have felt a strong emotional response. Two, ponder. Choose something that had caught your attention from this episode. Perhaps something that had evoked a sense of resonance or dissonance in you. Be curious about your feeling and how you responded to what you had heard. Can you name what you feel? What do you think this emotional response is calling your attention to? Three, act. I invite you to reflect on the last time you felt that you were doing what you were really created to do, when you felt deep gladness and fulfillment, and at the same time, you felt that you brought goodness, truth, or beauty to someone. What was that activity? Try and name all the emotions you felt. Describe how your mind and body felt during and after this activity. 
Then write down how you felt you had brought goodness, truth, or beauty to someone else while you were doing that activity or through that activity. Finally, I invite you to consider how you can repeat this activity or something like it more often in your life. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you would like to find out more about motivational design and finding your unique personal calling, don't forget to check out the episode show notes for links to resources. And you can also contact me if you would like to learn about how I can coach you in understanding and applying your motivational design to live more authentically and to offer your life in service with greater effectiveness and fulfillment. Thank you for listening to Becoming Me, where new episodes drop every first and third Wednesdays of the month. Remember, the most important thing about making this journey is to keep taking steps in the right direction, no matter how small those steps might be. And no matter where you might be in your life right now, it is always possible to begin. The world would be a poorer place without you becoming more fully alive. Don't forget to visit my website at becomingmepodcast.com and to subscribe to my newsletter as well as to this podcast. Until the next episode, happy becoming! <laughs>